welcome to the newest episode of the Retail Podcast. Today we're having a slightly different format and we're going to be talking to Jake and David about their visit to the NRF and the store report that they've created off the back of it. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I'm David, <laughs> the head of retail for uh, BGSS. Uh, yeah, and I'm Jake Knowles. I'm a retail consultant here at BGSS. Perfect. And I'm Mel and I'm also a retail consultant at BJSS. Oh, hat trick. To start off, could you tell us about what you were doing in New York? Yeah, so we were doing two things mainly. So we were visiting the NRF Big Show, which is the National Retail Federation's conference for 2019, uh, which is the largest retail conference in the world, I think. So uh, there were about 40,000 attendees and a lot of different expositions and a lot of different speakers. So we wanted to go out there to really see, you know, the latest and greatest in, in innovation and, and speakers in in the USA. And then second of all, whilst we were there, we thought we'd make the most of of being in New York. So we knew that it was famous for its pop-up and concept and and innovative stores. So we decided to make the most of being there. And on on our last day, we actually visited 31 stores to to see the latest and greatest in design, tech and innovation. Uh, And we reviewed those into a store report, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Great. So David, what were the highlights of NRF for you? Uh, there were quite a few. Um, so it's a for those who haven't been, it's an absolutely huge conference centre, kind of five floors, thousands of exhibitors, uh, and a huge number of service providers uh, flogging their gear. For me, it was a, a, a talk that I went to with um, Patagonia, where they were talking around sustainability and how they've actually moved their whole purpose to saving the planet rather than reducing their impact on it. Um, it was really inspiring. Uh, it was great to hear uh, Rose, who's the CEO, talk around what they're doing and talk with such passion uh, and clarity. And I think it's a trend within retail, which is actually gathering pace and is only going to become far more important uh, over the coming years. It's really interesting that um, they're quite happy to divert uh, a huge amount of profit over to sustainable causes. Um, and again, I think it's uh, it's a real exemplar within the industry of uh, of what they're doing, how they're doing it, and the the positive impact it can have. Definitely. And Jake, is there anything that you saw that we should be worried about or kind of focused on within the UK? Yeah, I think I think there's probably a few focuses. So we'll focus on the positives for now. So. Um... As David mentioned, there were a lot of uh, different expositions and a lot of different suppliers talking, which was interesting. But for me, I think the most valuable thing was listening to industry leaders. So we'll name drop a few. So the Target CEO, Brian Cornell, president of Alibaba Group, Michael Evans. Uh, David's already mentioned Patagonia CEO, Rose Marcario, and Macy CEO, Jeff Gannett. So listening to those guys talk, you know, those guys are shaping the retail strategy of some of the biggest retailers in the world, never mind in the USA. So there's a couple of key themes that really jumped out, I think. The first one was back to basics of retail. So there was a lot we saw there about the new and shiny innovation and solutions. But those guys are really focused on making sure the basics are right. So there's no point spending lots of money on innovation and the tech around your stores and your and your online experience if the fundamentals of retail aren't right. So we're talking, you know, customer service, having the best availability and having those really strong core customer experiences in stores as well. So I think that was really interesting. And the second one was as mentioning stores, that they're still an integral part of a retailer's success. So they still account for over 80% of UK, US retail sales, so still an enormous proportion. And you see with the likes of Amazon joining the bricks and mortar market, which I think we'll see more of this year, that they're still a really integral part to play. And a lot of talks really focused around that, that people still want to go into stores and, and that will still be the main battleground. They're just, I think we're going to see a large change in them over the next 12 months. Nice. That's really interesting, actually, how it's all more around back to basics rather than the really futuristic 
what retail could be. Yeah, massively so. And I think um, that's something, you know, we really brought back with us. And, and when we've spoken to clients more recently about that, that's something we've really spoken about in terms of making sure, yes, there's an innovation strategy in place, but actually are those basics really best in class? Are you confident that you can tick them off and move on from them before focusing on that innovation? Yeah, it's really a case that we see it as the <coughs> the, the enabler rather than kind of the end state itself. Uh, kind of to echo what Jake said as well, I think it's it's important to to recognise that NRF was very much kind of future state and kind of blue sky gazing. Um, and we're very much more around that kind of pragmatic, yes, we can provide it, but it's a case of actually what you need to do in the here and now to kind of really put your fires out and set yourselves up for success. Nice. So what was your favourite session at the NRF? Um, there were quite a few, actually. I mean, we went to quite a, a spiky, controversial women in retail talk where I think Jake and I were uh, probably the only two males in the audience at the time. Yep. Um, Represent. Pardon? Represent. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, have to. Um, I think it was really interesting to hear their take on retail and the, the difficulties and challenges that they had all faced within the industry and how they got into positions of, um, of seniority and, and influence. I think there was a lot of commonality around the issues that they were talking around, so kind of a lack of active mentorship, um, a lack of um, acceptance for um women within the industry and the fact that if they do want to go and do something far more innovative and very much on their own it's very difficult for them to get funding uh, and a head of steam with it from there um but i found it to be really informative opened my eyes to a lot of issues that uh that female colleagues and peers face um and uh yeah i quite like the fact it was quite controversial and quite punchy um it was good and jake what about you yeah, so for me, um, that one was very interesting. Um, but I think Michael Evans, so who's the uh, president of Alibaba Group, um, spoke very, very well and on the biggest stage around how he sees Alibaba both in Asia and, and across the rest of the world. And he spoke a lot about um, how they weren't like Amazon. And the the interviewer kept trying to compare them to Amazon. And I think he got a little bit bit irritated at times because they he explained very clearly that they're, they're not like that Amazon. So you see... Amazon's movements in the retail market over the last 12 months or so, really polarising the industry, using their economies of scale, using their prime membership to really wade across the sectors in quite a polarising fashion. Um, And he compared it to Amazon building moats across the industry, so making it really hard for retailers to compete and to enter this market with with Amazon polarising it so much, whereas he sees Alibaba as as this marketplace, really. So how Amazon originally started without that kind of polarising nature and he wants to build bridges across the across the market. So rather than Amazon isolating themselves and trying to steal the market, he sees Alibaba more powerful if he's connected across all, all elements of retail. So really, really interesting. And, and I think he also spoke around how some retailers have struggled to get into, into the Chinese marketplace. Um, a lot of US retailers and, and UK, I think there's a lot of stories of that. And he said it's it's sometimes to do with the Chinese consumer and a lack of understanding around that, how it takes a bit longer, you have to sell them a bit more of a story and a bit more emotion around it, and that a lot of brands don't have the patience or probably the investment to do that. So, you know, to wait 12, 24 months without seeing kind of what you've what you've sowed from, from reaping all that time and all that energy in that market, I think that is quite difficult for retailers to persevere for that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. It was quite an interesting kind of message that he landed, really, where it's resonated with a huge amount of people. Uh, and for an organisation of that size to say that they're working with other retailers, potential competitors to actually be far more successful was quite refreshing to hear. Um, and it was also really interesting to to note that there was very much kind of a strategic view and kind of partnership model that he was talking about 
whilst also being very pragmatic uh, and insightful around what is it that uh, retailers need to do to actually enter into that market as well. So I'd agree with Jake. It was a really good chat. Mm, sounds really, really interesting. Yeah. So coming away from the NRF com- conference a little bit then, could you tell us a bit more about your store study? Uh, yeah, so we decided to assess uh, over 30 of the most innovative uh, and newest concepts within NYC itself. Um, so we went with a little bit of a target list of the stores that we wanted to visit before we came over to the States. Off the back of the conference, that was actually adapted a little bit through some of the talks that we've heard or just kind of informal conversations that we've had with people that we met. Uh, and what we wanted to do was really position it around three core areas, which was digital experience uh, and um Brand. 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 Thank you very much. There we go. Power three. Missed it. Um, So, yeah, it was a case that we wanted to focus on those three areas because we felt that they were the ones that best um, exhibited everything that you need to do in retail at this moment in time and actually would provide a bit of a talking point and a topic for us to go off and, um, and give an opinion on. And that's essentially what we wanted to do, which was actually to give a really strong at times fairly controversial opinion around what we took from all of these store visits, ranging from the good, the bad and the ugly, uh, and to uh, to give a frank, honest assessment um, out into the market for it. Yeah, so maybe just to give a quick overview of those three areas then, so brand, digital and experience. Um, for us, these are kind of three integral parts of, of what we saw the stores to be. There, there's probably 10, 20, 30 different categories you could put in there. But we focus on these three. So for us, the brand was around being able to surprise and delight customers in the store, but also a store that is really designed around that brand. We talk a lot about that the omni-channel experience, the multi-channel experience, but it starts in the store and the how customers see the store and how it's designed is fully reflective of the brand. So really making sure that that's spot on. Digital, so obviously when we talk about innovation, we talk about the tech that's, that's enabled that innovation, that experience. So we tested out that tech, see kind of how viable it was, how integral a part it played in the customer experience and how interlinked it was with the physical experience and then that overall customer experience piece so when i walked in that store is it somewhere i wanted to spend money is it somewhere i wanted to spend a bit of time and is there somewhere i wanted to come back to as well so really those three key areas that we that we focused on and and as as david said we were honest and um and fairly upfront with our thoughts but we we really did test every single store and, and really analyze them quite in depth and you went through it all quite quickly because you only had a day and a half to do it didn't you we walked many, many, many miles or kilometres as it is out there. Um, so, yeah, we went, as I said, a little bit pre-prepared. So we knew how we were we were going to attack it. But um, I think it got to halfway through of day one and we were uh, we were both feeling the strain, actually. So my feet were definitely hurting by the end of it. Yeah, I had my Adidas yellow trainers on, though. Horrific. So I was up fine. <laughs> <laughs> so what stood out for you both during the analysis? Uh well, the kind of broader trend is the fact that New York does have some really cool, interesting concepts out there that are innovative. Um, the list itself isn't exhaustive, so we're not saying that these are the only ones within the city itself. There are more that you can go to. We just chose them out of um, out of curiosity and because of what they could potentially offer. Um, I think for me, it was a case that the key takeaway, the smaller brands or the ones that we were probably and being completely frank and honest, less excited about or had lower expectations for, absolutely blew us away. Whereas some of the bigger players that have got a huge amount of column inches in the press or kind of industry publications were not as strong as what we were expecting. Um, And it was great to see actually a a number of these smaller, more nimble, agile, newer brands coming in and actually either excelling across all three areas where we assessed them 
or if they weren't excelling across all three, they were taking one or two in particular and really smashing it out of the park and doing it phenomenally well. So if you look at someone like Fluid Project, for example, a gender-fluid non-binary concept store, not a huge amount of digital actually in play there, but from a brand and an experience perspective, it was absolutely spot on and one of the strongest examples we saw of a store really excelling in that area. And then another one around kind of MedMen, um, so a medical marijuana dispensary, try saying that after a few coffees, um, (laughs) that... Well, it ticked all the boxes. I mean, again, it was a real phenomenal experience. It was a high-end, sophisticated, uh, really well-thought-through concept. It had great digital integration where you could actually get a hell of a lot of information around the products itself Uh, and the customer service, which is often an area which is overlooked and forgotten about in all of this, was was exceptional, Um, whereas some of the other bigger guys were um, all about the tech and the, the razzmatazz. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think uh, just to give you a couple more examples then. So I kind of split it into three kind of key categories for me. So those that use the tech well, those that use the tech badly, and those that didn't really need to use the tech because of the store design. So those that use the tech well, someone like Beta for me. So um, mainly a lot of consumer products in the store. So probably 15 to 20 gadgets on show, all fairly nicely spread out, but each comes with a tablet next to the project, uh, next to the product. So it could be... For example, some headphones that play through your cheekbones. So they're bone conductors rather than headphones, which David dropped £160 on. But um, <laughs> As a present, <laughs> that are now um, gathering dust. Um, but yeah, so it's very interesting there. So there's, there's kind of two benefits here. So first of all, it gets you to interact with the product. There's not a big label in front of it with the price blaring at you. So you go... No, thank you. you. You look at the product, you interact with the product, and then on each of the tablets, there's information, there's some videos, and there's some more kind of product review kind of things. So great for the customer experience, but also in the back end, each of the supplier that pays beta to have their products in the store gets real-time access to all the data around how long someone's interacted with the tablet, and they're allowed to real-time update prices and product information as well. So if there's something that um, one of the store staff reports back saying, you know, actually, this wasn't quite clear. There were a couple of questions around this or, you know, the price is just maybe a little bit too high. They can they can react to that in real time. So kind of really a two pronged approach there. And I think it was great. Yeah, it was a really cool example of being kind of digitally intelligent and moving with that as a uh, as a first mover, really, rather than the follower. Uh, and it was interesting also when we did trial some of the product, the bone conductors being one of them, that Jake wanted to listen to Katy Perry. So. <laughs> not true. Um, <laughs> And yeah, just to give you another kind of example that really stood out again for me was Nike. So one of the biggest brands in the world and the House of Innovation has been taking headlines for the last kind of six six months or so. So it was always top of our list to visit. Um, for us, yes, it's an incredible place. There's a lot going on. There's products on four floors. There's customizable stations. There's experts on the top floor that you can go and visit. It really gets you involved. There's... Uh, QR codes next to every mannequin. So if you want to shop the look, they call it, you can scan that on the app and someone will bring you your size to try on or you can purchase there and then as well. So the tech is in place and it all looks great. But for us, there was kind of a little thing of there's a lot going on there. There's, you know, mm-hmm. there's interviews going on, I think, with Maria Sharapova playing over loudspeakers. There's wind, wind blowing in tunnels. your face yeah. at the beginning. The chap fist bumps you at the door. And for so us, it was just sensory overload. Yeah, it was. There was just a lot going on, and actually, whether how long I actually looked at the products rather than the massive um, spaceship spaceship style thing, style thing yeah. that was going across all four floors, I'm not quite sure. So, 
great thing, but I would just love to know whether that is there to showcase or to really buy products because there's a lot of space on Fifth Avenue there, so the rent must be astronomical. So whether they're seen back in the showcase or, or actual purchasing of products, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to find out. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we've actually taken a very different view from what the rest of the uh, the industry have because everybody is raving about this particular store. And it's not to say that it is bad or uh, the investment isn't going to pay off for them. It just felt that there was just too much going on. So kind of five or six floors, I think, with the basement of Nike experience yeah. was overpowering in our view. And it might have been better just to tone it down a little bit so that you could actually shop it and, and purchase because... Um, I think for both of us, it actually turned us off from being uh, interested in actually purchasing a product to just saying, well, how do we get out? Hmm. And I went to buy an Adidas instead, so <laughs> Says there it we all. go. Exactly. Although, do you think that might have been more around creating excitement around Nike as a brand itself rather than encouraging shoppers to actually purchase there? It's a good question. Um, that is definitely an element of it, so kind of experiential retail and driving footfall in because it's it's new, innovative and exciting. Uh, it fundamentally goes against the kind of key tenant of retail, though, which is essentially just flogging your gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just didn't do that for us. It was there was too much information. There was um, too many things that you could actually engage with that were value adding in the sense it built an experience, but it didn't drive you towards a purchasing decision or behavior. And that, for me, was the key thing that was missing, that the tech was there to wow and impress rather than to uh, really drive the commercial bottom line, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Strong grunt from Jake there. <laughs> <laughs> so were there any pers- personal favourites? Uh, there are a couple. I think kind of Converse were particularly strong. Jake's already mentioned um, Beta. Uh, I probably think a left field one would have been Rowing Blazers. So again, it's not one that's particularly strong on kind of digital uh, or innovation really. But as a pop-up store, hugely impressed with it. So you walk in, it's a really impressive space. It's designed to actually make you um, much more comfortable, kind of lounge around, relax, spend a bit of time and actually investigate and discover the product and the brand itself. And it was done in a very haphazardly stylish way, I would say. Um, And again, the the experience of it was fantastic. There was kind of the Smiths playing on in the background, which was a a big tick in the box after Jake's Katy Perry debacle. Um, And it just encouraged you to actually enjoy it and really engage with the product that was in front of you. And it wasn't a hard sell. There was just one guy in the store who was answering any questions that we did have. He was really informative. He was relaxed. He was approachable. Um, and as a pop-up and as a concept around that, I felt that they ticked all the right boxes that they wanted to as a brand and what best um, personified them within New York. So, yeah, bit of a left-field one, but that was the one for me. Fair enough. I can see you in that Henry Gatta clover, pink blazers. Nice. Um, yeah, so another left-field for me, actually. So, uh, Delvo. so... The oldest handbag maker in the world, I think. David um, does not approve. No, no he doesn't approve. I think uh, the prices we, scared me off. Yeah, we both almost fell over when they saw the prices. So they sell handbags for more than I've paid for all my holidays last year. I think, <laughs> um, but yeah, pretty incredible place. So I'll directly contrast it with Chanel, for example. So two traditionally very, very upper market luxury brands. Chanel, we didn't make our top twenty. I think it came. 30th actually of the stores we reviewed um yep. not the best experience felt a bit clunky trying to be a lot of things that i don't think it was didn't help that there must have been 20 store staff on the first floor and about three customers so it's quite an intimidating place contrast that with delvo where we walked in 
I think they pretty clearly understood that we were there to look at the store rather than buy anything. But there was absolutely no feeling of uncomfortableness there. We wanted to spend time there. You look around, it's simple, it's classy. The design is is very, very elegant, which you'd expect of something so so luxurious. But for us, that's you know the epitome of how you reflect your brand in a store. So there's no tech flying around. There's nothing on the walls. It's just the show pieces of the handbags, which almost feels a bit more like an art gallery than a store. But some people, I imagine, will be very, very comfortable to sit in there for a few hours, browse some handbags and, and drop a fair bit of dough on some very expensive bits of leather in there. But yeah, for us, really tick the box of how to reflect a brand and how to really design a store around that brand. Yeah, I think for a, an iconic heritage brand, the execution of it was phenomenal, where it was um, minimalist, stylish, um, welcoming, calm. Uh, yeah, they executed it phenomenally well. Nice. So to wrap up, how can people access and read the report? Yeah, so you can access the report at bjss.com forward slash stores. Or if you'd like a physical copy, we have got a few left. Um, You can let myself, Jake Knowles, know, and I'll be more than happy to post you one of those. Um, I'll just give you an idea of actually what's coming next. So we've done New York stores now. Now we're back this side of the Atlantic. We'd like to do London stores. So coming around Easter or just after Easter, we're going to launch our next report. Concrete Comparisons will not be the name next time. Um, (laughs) Or Considerations. um, but what we're really going to try and do is is look at the London store scene, look at the concept stores, look at the pop-up stores, and really try and make that comparison to New York. I think there's a lot of similarities in the retail markets, both sides of the Atlantic. But for us, we really want to see what the best in class is over here as well. I know there's a lot of pop-ups like Peloton that have come over from the US over here, but there are also some organic ones over here, which we, which we really want to review as well. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But if you'd like a copy of this report, just, just let me know. Drop us a line. Great. So thanks very much, Jake and David. And thanks to all of our fans for listening. Thank you, Wadey. (laughs) See you soon. Cheers. See you next time.